Come with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Nightmare. Good morning, everyone. Somewhere it's morning, I guess. I am Ron Kolick, your host, and this is Ghost Chronicles International. With me all the way from the land of the Red Dragon is the gold standard in ghost hunting, Stephen Parsons. Where it most certainly is not morning. It's guessing. Somewhere it's morning. Um, well, that would be California, I guess. Somewhere. Yeah. Um, Hawaii, five, maybe? I would guess what's five back from eight. No, that'd be three. Hawaii. Um, Hawaii. Alaska. Sure. Alaska. Someplace. Anyway, there yeah. you go. So you're back from your, uh, I am. your, uh, I your am. holiday. And, uh, My did you get your son? On the island. Uh, yes, we did. Um, it wasn't all rainy. Hmm. Fortunately. So, anyways, I started watching this uh, TV series. It's, I, I believe, it's a British one, and uh, it's based in Wales. And the first episode uh, mentions this place called the Devil's Bridge. Is that a real place? It absolutely is a real place. It's about forty miles north of here. Really? Yeah. Just outside the town of Aberystwyth. Have you ever been there? I've been there on a number of occasions. Because there is, you know, stories associated with that. Well, there are. Um, I, I, I can't actually remember it off the top of my head. It's quite a tourist well, attraction. Uh, but that's for oh, the, it is. Is that for, really? For the, oh, yeah, for the location, not the myth. Um, mm-hmm. the, the story is just a story that gave it its name. It's actually um, quite a scenic place. There's like a narrow gorge with bridges and there's a, a nature walk. And um, Is there like a whirlpool there, kind of? Uh, it was a waterfall. Yeah, waterfall, and it comes, it goes down into a yeah, you know, like a sinkhole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Anyways, the uh, the uh, name of the series is called Hinterland. I know it. I and, know the series. Uh, yeah, and uh, according to the the uh, show, they said it got its name because there was an old lady who got separated by her cow from her cow across the river. And she didn't know how to get the cow back, so uh, the devil says, well, I can get your cow back for it. Uh, he says, but you have to give me the soul. I says, I'll build you a bridge. And uh, she says, that would be nice. He says, the only thing, he says, I will take the soul, the first living thing that crosses the bridge. Mm-hmm. So uh, she went to bed, and next morning she got up, and there was a bridge there. So uh, the devil says, okay, I've completed my bargain. Now it's time for yours. So she went into her bag and took out a loaf of bread and threw it across the bridge, and her dog ran after it. <laughs> there are many similar stories of uh, tricking the devil in British folklore, hmm. where, where people have um, made a pact with the devil who has lost out on the deal. In fact, there are, I think there are actually a couple of other devil bridges as well. One. Similar stories? Uh, yeah, inevitably. Um there is, there's, and there's also lots of stories of the devil who uh, moving churches around or throwing church foundation stones around the place. 
Um, Salisbury, I think, has one. Uh, there's a couple mm-hmm. in Wales, not very far from here, where the church was um, built in one spot, but the devil kept throwing the rocks somewhere else and the foundation stones elsewhere, so uh, they had to uh, reposition things. Really? Not uncommon. We have a lot ah. of stories involving the devil, actually, in British folklore. Is, was, he always, was, was he always a loser in England? Um, predominantly, yeah, yeah. In British, in British uh, story uh, storytelling, yeah, he does tend to lose out most of the time. <laughs> he seems to be very easily tricked, and then he comes back and repeats the same thing. Uh, and he's also, as we know from the the famous uh, Irish versions of the stories, where the devil played cards. Right, uh, as soon as he, those are so many of those, yeah. Yeah, as soon as he as, as he gets found out, he just tends to uh, disappear in a flash of sulfurous smoke. So, like the, uh, the higher, like the uh, most haunted house in Ireland, right? <laughs> exactly like Loftus Hall, where he yes. disappeared in a puff of sulfurous smoke and left a hole in the ceiling. That's that's a great story. Yeah. But he, I mean, he doesn't seem to be very resilient, old Nick. Um, he he's always seems to be on the losing. You'd think he'd have learned the lesson by now. <laughs> well, he keeps trying. He's. I'm sure that if he did that nowadays, they, you know, he would get more in his catch of souls because people nowadays aren't the brightest tools in the sheds. Um, I don't know what what would be the modern equivalent. Um, the devil don't know. Thing. The Devil's Facebook page? <laughs> Wouldn't that be just a... I probably, it's probably out there, I hate to say. <laughs> I'll, I'll give you 10,000 followers in exchange for the first for the first person that clicks a like. <laughs> <laughs> that would be... Uh, yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't doubt it. But there was another, also another part... Of, you know, I mean, that's why I enjoyed the, the first... I only saw the first... Uh, one which is about an hour and a half movie and uh, maybe a little longer and uh, th- it also had another uh, piece of paranormal or uh, whatever you want to call it a uh, legend associated and that was a, a uh, painting with the devil's face um, Do you, are you familiar with that? it rings a bell but we have so many here um, I've, I mean, I've got books and books and books on the shelf um, that relate to the myths, folklore, legends of Wales, and there are, believe you me, there are many, many, many. Um, the painting, no. Found I, it. <laughs> it doesn't ring a bell. <laughs> it looks like uh, the image of a painting that hides the devil's face, and, uh, and there's the, actually the picture. It is, oh, goodness gracious, let me see. What is the name of this thing? Uh, oh, yeah, you can see it. Oh, how come it doesn't have the name on it? Doesn't have the name of the location? No, I'm looking for it, uh, Steve. I apologize for this, but it's because I just I had the I had absolutely the, the picture. I could see it staring me in the face. But uh, oh, here it is. No, Devil in Shawl. Maybe this is. Yep, this is the one. Uh, it is sailing. Painting memories on show at oh my god, Gwynedd Museum. Gwynedd. How can you get an F? There's no F in here. There's G or what? W or no, 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 Y? No. Well, well, the Welsh language is actually it's it's difficult to pronounce, but it's 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 because it's an older language. It's actually quite simple. Um, double D is always D. 
Sorry, it double is. D. Double D is th. This is single D is a D. Double uh, L is a sound. So, for example, uh, where I, the the village next door next door to us would be uh, has the word slangum, which means the church in the hollow. Slang, oh my God! Which is double L A N, slang. Okay. Church and okay. cum, C W M, which is village slang cum. Church okay. in the village. Church in the hollow. There we are. No, but well, I mean, Welsh is. It's, wait, wait. This is this is what it says. The yeah. The I guess it's called the Salem painting. The Salem painting depicts a Sunday morning at a small Baptist church in C E F N C Y M E R A U L L A N B E D R. Does that even sound like anything you could pronounce? Uh. <laughs> near uh, near Hollich. Hollich. Yeah. Right, I found and it. Sent, and the Salem painting. Is yes, it, are we talking about the what? Is it is it a lady in a in a like a big top hat? Is that a lady? I thought that was a guy. No, that's a lady. That's that's the Welsh national costume. Oh, it is. It is. That's the Welsh well, see, female national see, costume. You could, you could correct me on this and, and give me the right information. I, uh, now, I swore that that was a, a guy. That is, uh, ladies wear top hats? Uh, it's not a top hat, but it's similar to a top hat. It's much bigger, it's much taller, much wider, wide-brimmed hat. And there are several variations of them. In fact, uh, there are some stories that suggest it was the precursor or the uh, originator of the witch's hat. Oh, wow. Um, because they're obviously Welsh women, um, right? But yeah, the 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 Welsh lady is Sean Owen, who is a real person. I, I found the, the information now. She was seventy-one and lived in an isolated farmhouse. She died in nineteen twenty-seven and is buried in Llanvaia churchyard near Harlech. How did you say that? Llanvaia. L L A N. F A I R. Land it looks like land fair. Oh see, this is a little bit different here. And it's and uh it centers on Sion Owen. That's the girl, right? Yeah, Sean. Of Tyne Fognog. <laughs> I, I take it that's the wrong pronunciation. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know, surprisingly, um, as soon as I saw the picture, I recognised it because uh, it's currently in the Lady Lieber Art Gallery on Port Sunlight in the Wirral, um, a place where I've actually conducted a paranormal investigation and really? been, been in the building a oh, hundred or more times. And where is that, Steve? Uh, the Lady Lieber Art Gallery is, um, it was built as a memorial to Lord Leverhulme's wife. Lord Leverhulme, who founded the vast Sunlight Soap Empire um, and the village at Port Sunlight. And he built this. It's like, it looks like a, uh, like a sort of small Taj Mahal, but it's actually an art gallery. Um, and the, the painting, as, as soon as I saw it, I remembered the painting and I remembered the story. You're supposed to be able to see the um, devil's, devil's face, face. Yeah. In, the, in the lady's shawl. Right. They actually and, have a close-up yeah. of it. Yeah, ver variously the painting has has been a you know it's uh, been on exhibition in other places. Uh, I think it was in Carnarvon, 
Um, but I think the the it depicts a scene at the Salem Chapel or Capel Salem uh, in Pentra Gwynvren. According to this article, he says uh, a detailed application has been presented to Harrods Lottery Funding worth a total of 2.6 million pounds to provide a new home for the Gwendolyn Museum and Gallery in the Bishop's Palace. Uh, you know anything about that? Well, the, depends which Bishop's Palace. It can't be the one down yeah. here. I have uh, no clue. We have Just a just reading this article. Let me see how old this article is before I, uh, you know, sprout off. This is from the BBC, by the way, so it's it's your neck of the woods. So it's a little bit, it's not like us Americans commenting on British again, <laughs> like we're the experts, <laughs> as, as we know. Uh, I, I don't see, unfortunately, I don't see the date. Oh, yes, here it is. Oh, this one goes, this is built back to June 29, 2013. So it's quite old this particular article okay so anyways we know where it is we know the picture if i have a chance i'll post that up on our well our, the next uh, time so i go up on the, well the next time i go up to the world i'll actually head along and have a have a look at it and take some pictures they allow that in some galleries i know they they get uh, i know the curator at that museum okay oh, so when, when i come over there we could do a little investigation we could yeah. we could in fact we've as i said we've uh Parasites has actually Conducted several investigations of the museum. Oh wow! Yeah. The art gallery, the Lady Lever, which holds many, many uh, sort of important in, uh, works of art. You know, it's not just that one. That's actually right. quite a minor one. Um, and and really, only because of I mean, I don't know whether there is actually um, the Devil's Face. It never. It's never a, a thing about the painting. The, the painting is just exhibited as is. Um, and yeah, have, I know that. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, it's, make, a real, it's a real arts gallery. <laughs> well, they they make no they make no deal about it. Um, uh -huh. So. So, do you know the, the legend I mean, behind it? Well, there isn't a legend behind it, other than that there is the supposedly um, this has this hidden figure. The, the hidden face of the devil uh, within the, you know, in the folds of the um, the shawl. I mean, it's a it's a, one of these sort of plaid paisley print things, and you can make pictures out of anything if you like. You know, it's just there's nothing. Now uh, it, it, it's interesting because I've just just been reading about it while I've been talking about it because right. they they make no deal about this about the face or anything in the art gallery or even in the online exhibition um, that relates to it. But apparently the painter uh, Vosper, the guy who painted yeah. the picture, did in fact confirm that an intended ghostly face had been painted into the window scene. Oh, the window uh, scene, but not the shawl. And the part that the knowledge of a hidden face somewhere within the painting is the starting point for the pot for the pot for a popular theory of the devil within the shawl. So perhaps instead of looking at the um, looking at the uh, in fact, if you zoom in on the window, you can see a face quite clearly. <laughs> <laughs> How anybody could miss that one? Um, there is actually a face at the window. 
so there you go. So if you have a look at the picture and you zoom in, I'm not going to tell you where it is because it just pops straight out. Oh, you can see it right now. I get, I, I'm looking yeah. at a ti- and actually a tiny picture of it. You can see it, can't you? Yeah. <laughs> well, the painter deliberately painted that in, of course, and as it said, the uh, that started the rumour about the hidden face. And, of course, it is a hidden face. It's not an actual person. Mm-hmm. Um, but then people have started imagining that they could see faces and shapes well listen isn't that what what we're talking about when we say paradola uh that's it is yeah it's paradola you know, we oh. have we have a a conception of what the devil's face looks like and anything that's yeah. vaguely familiar or like that we will assume it's the devil's face it's 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 strange that you should pick on that painting and then um as i say it sounded familiar that this picture mm-hmm. of a and then as soon as I saw it, I went, oh, I know where it is. I've seen it. Uh, <laughs> it literally was. In fact, I was born less than a mile from that art gallery. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a place where we, we went on school trips regularly. Um, we visited almost week a, a, every other month as, as children. My daughter visited it. We took her there as a child. Um, it, it's just a you know a, pl- a popular place to travel and visit for all the uh, for all the locals um, but I mean there's some fascinating uh, I just wish it had some forewarning because it would have dug out a few who swallows that it's our fault what is that? <laughs> I'll tell you what we will do then we'll 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 uh, we'll look at some of the Welsh folklore and legends uh, in mm-hmm. an upcoming show and I'll dig out a few of the more interesting ones because there are some really bizarre ones it was like the lady who lit up uh, the sky she was a spiritualist um, and uh, l- lights were seen in the sky lighting up the entirety um, rays of light shooting out from the chapel while she mm-hmm. She held service inside, and people used to travel from you know, tens of miles on foot and by by pony cart to come and see this lady. Polish pony cart. I love that phrase. Uh, but uh, I mean, one of the uh, unsubstantiated stories relates to, actually to the hats, um, because that is one style of hat. There are others that are far more pointy, and it, there were regional variations on the hat. That's a North Walian um, hat, which is quite like a sort of elongated top hat to look at uh, down in the south down here they come to very nearly a point um, so they're much more tapered they're still flat at the top but they're much more tapered um, and there is a lot of uh, suggestion that it was the originator of the witch's the witch's wide-brimmed hat mm-hmm. uh, the classic witch's hat and the hat in, interestingly was worn by both men and women um, although it was predominantly, it, it, it sort of morphed into the female national dress. In fact, you would never see a, ma- a Welsh man wearing that in the last hundred years. But originally the hat style um, was worn by both sexes and then it developed into um, the sort of archetypal Welsh uh, national costume or the hat of the Welsh national costume. But as I say, there are regional variations on the hat itself. And believe it or not, there are tons of Devil's Bridges. There are indeed. Not just in the UK, but I'm looking at one right there's now one in, in Germany. There's one in Arkansas. There's one in Germany as well. No doubt. And there's probably one in Ar- – I seem to remember reading about one a few months ago, about Devil's Bridge in Arkansas. Uh-huh. A lot of them, are, uh, like with um, – 
with a lot of American place names that may not actually be an originating rumor. It may be that. Um, okay, it, so oh, this is this one's called. I'm sorry, Steve, I didn't but I I got to lose track of it. I forget. Uh, this is called Rack. Oh, God, why do I even try this? <laughs> R-A-K-O-T-Z-B-R-U-C-K-E. Rakozbaki. <laughs> I have no just, clue. Just just reach back to your Polish ancestry. I know, I know. Uh, it was commissioned in 1860 by a local knight. The bridge is known under the names Devil's Bridge due to the this bridge was so dangerous and... Uh, Miraculous that it must have been built by the uh, devil. Uh, it's a thin arch bridge over the Lake Ratsa Toxi or whatever the frick it is. Anyways, here, here's a legend behind it. Anyways, and, and to just... leg... what's that? Sorry, go on. Okay, no, what'd you say? I we we just crossed over each other. Uh, according to the legends, the uh, architect in charge, a local knight had a deadline to complete the bridge. The legend says he called on the devil to help him finish his work. The devil agreed, but he would deliver to him the first living creature that crossed the bridge, very similar to the one in Wales. The devil completed the bridge, and the story tells how uh, the smart builders <laughs> were able to trick the, de- trick the uh, devil. Uh, he is a complete dumbass, isn't he? Isn't he, really? They tricked him by making a rooster or a goat walk across the bridge instead of themselves. This would uh, anger the uh, – oh, this angered the poor devil and slaughtered the animals before leaving. Oh. So so that's – that's. I, I guess that, uh, you know, he, he flunked out in the U.K., so he decided to go to the Germany and try his little ruse there, and uh, he failed there as well. So I, I guess he just doesn't learn. You're right. He doesn't, does he? They, there's so many other interesting variations. Like there's a Devil's Bridge in – I'm sure it's Arkansas, but um, okay. the name has got nothing to do with – in fact, there isn't even a bridge there. Uh, it was lifted. <laughs> That's intriguing. <laughs> it was lifted. That really from... screws up the devil. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's because it was settled by um, people from uh, Welsh uh, Devil's Bridge in Wales, and they just oh. named the town after where they come from. Really? So they called the town Devil's Bridge. Well, and there's a there's a lot of examples of that, particularly in and around New England. Why would anybody from Wales go to Arkansas? Uh, something to do with mining. Okay, I'll give you that. I guess I does have some minds here. Yep. So, um, yeah, I mean, we've, we've got a lot of... Uh, there's an interesting church not very far away uh, that's reputedly haunted by the spirit of its uh, frustrated builder, by the man who... the architect who built it, um, or, or the builder who built it. There's, right. there's variations. They're never quite... you can never quite pin it down. Right. And the church is abandoned. It was, it was for sale a few years ago for one pound. Really? Um, really. And the thought Why didn't you let me know? I would have bought it. Well, the thought crossed my mind, too. <laughs> Damn, we could have been partners. It was only, I mean, it's only two or three miles from here. Uh, fact, oh, God, you yeah. It, you can literally see it from here. Uh, I'll move the Wales. You can see the spire of it from here. Um, Slebeck Church. And it's on top of, uh, you know, Slebeck itself is a very historic part of uh, the world and has got uh, quite strong associations with the Knights Templar. But the church um, at Slebeck, uh, which lies empty and ruinous um, and getting increasingly ruinous. And the reason that nobody bought it for a pound is because of the covenant 
basically saying you couldn't do anything to it. Um, but it does have a ghost story attached to it, interestingly. And the ghost yeah, story just, relates to... Yeah, you can just have I... ghost... Ghost hunts and make get oh, your money back. And... Yeah, we thought of that. Yeah. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> yeah, we we we. I actually we did actually run the numbers. Uh, did you really? Yeah, a few years yeah. ago, we actually thought it might be, you know, one of those sort of crazy ideas that might just come 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 to fruition. That's right. Uh, nothing ventured, it, nothing game. It only would have cost it, you a pound. Well, it was. It, yeah, it would have cost you a pound, um, but you had to put up a bond of ten million. Um, oh, you didn't leave yeah, that. You left that part kind of out. They of left that part of it out as well. <laughs> <laughs> but the ghost story relates to uh, the frustrated builder or architect who built the mm-hmm. thing, um, because it's the wrong way round. It faces, yeah, it faces. All um, oh, right, most yeah. people don't know that, you know. No, most churches face north south, don't they? Right, exactly. Yeah, this, so the navy is at the north, uh, south, whichever way around they are. Uh, but this one is 180 degrees about faced, uh, and nobody realised while they were building it. Of course, then the church didn't really like the idea of having backwards facing church. Oh. Was it east west? Well, either way, it's the wrong way round. The navy is right. you know, the interesting the thing is at the wrong people... end. A lot of people don't realize that, Stephen, is is that a lot of things were associated by the compass. For instance, graves were were uh, running east-west. Uh, east west. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's certain things that that was extremely important. Uh, that's why they had graveyards on on uh, if a water ran through a town, if a, 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 a river or a brook or whatever ran through a town, they would always have. A, two graveyards, because it was uh, believed that if they passed the body in a funeral over to, for instance, if he died on one side of the bridge and then the, the cemetery is in the other one, that the uh, the river or the, the brook would steal the soul of the, the deceased. The water captured the souls. There's, there's a lot going back to that as well. Wales, particularly this part of Wales, is absolutely, I mean, is inundated, inundated with uh, folklore relating to funerals and death. Um, yeah. And some weird funeral customs that we have here in Wales that that they were still being practiced. In fact, there were. Uh, I was talking to a folklorist a few years ago, and he actually spoke to a very old lady who remembers these practices still being uh, carried out. Um, really, as a, as late as just prior to World War Two. Well, uh, what do you mean? After, nothing. Well, I'll talk about the practices after the break. Okay, this is, uh, but we this have is some intriguing. we have some intriguing, some very particular customs, post burial, post death customs in West Wales. Really? Mm-hmm. Now that's strange. We'll have to figure out why that it that it is that way. But uh, yeah, that, that's it's intriguing so much about you know the way we do things and and the reasons behind them. It's uh, but they're based on certain things uh, that you know. Original. Wow. Okay. Okay. I get the, the bump in here. This thing is bubbling, bubbling at me. Anyways, you're listening to Ghost Chronicles International right here on Tochi Night and Parrex Radio with Ron Kolick and Steve Parsons. We'll be right back after the following massages. Welcome to Tokinet, radio with a cutting edge. Do you have a paranormal event, book, or something else you want people to know about? 
then why not advertise it on Ghost Chronicles Radio? With over 150,000 downloads a month, get your message out to an audience that's interested in the subject. We have a plan at a cost that fits your needs. For more information, contact Ron Kolick at anyghostproject at comcast.net or call 978-455-6678. The creepy and the kooky, mysterious and spooky, the all-talk-gobbly-gooky, the Parax family. The shows are paranormal, not stuffy but informal. The topics are abnormal, the Parrax family. They're strange, deranged, unrestrained. So grab your favorite brew, it's time to rendezvous as we give awards to the Parrax family. Chronicles, the morning edition, because <laughs> it's morning somewhere in the world. You got it. <laughs> yeah, as we started the international edition with earlier in the show, and we've we've wandered a little further down from North Wales um, via Aberystwyth and um, the Welsh hinterland, and explored some of the bizarre and strange customs, culminating with what happens at the end of life, and some of the weirdest customs of West Wales. Uh, the funeral yes. customs. And the reference book is uh, Welsh Folklore, which was published in 1912 by Jonathan Keredig Davis, who is mm-hmm. a eminent folklorist. And in fact, um, all of these modern paperbacks that uh, our, our mutual friend Dylan Jones likes to read, full of Welsh ghost stories, um, or even the ghost, the ghost walks and the you know, these gazetteers, you see the same stories over and over and over in all of them, mm-hmm. the phantom funerals and the corpse candles and all of the other portents in death and fairy legends. And they're all originating in this book, um, which was, you know, sort of published in the early 19th century and was distilled down from several. There's this guy, Kerry Dick Davis, spent a lifetime collecting the folklore and tales uh, from West Wales, interviewing people who had had first-hand experience of many of the the sort of customs, uh, and there are, I mean, there are there are chapters here devoted to all for all forms of customs, but um, some of the some of the more bizarre ones, um, and and probably has pagan roots, um, is the one of hauling the body up the chimney uh, on the wake night immediately prior to the day of burial. Hauling the body up the chimney? Yep. They had. They would have a group of um, men and they would uh, pull, they would put a rope around the shrouded corpse and they would haul it up the chimney uh, and out the roof uh, and then lower it back down and take it away for burial. Uh, which was supposed to be some form of symbolic passage uh, between the two worlds, or so it was interpreted. Hmm. Um, there was also, I mean, um, 
let's see if we can find some. In Pembrokeshire, about 150 year ago, years ago, now bear in mind, this book was written 120 years ago, uh, so 270 years ago, there was a most curious, strange and mysterious custom performed during the wake night known as Hirwenguth, the long white bag or shroud. The corpse was drawn up the chimney and the process was as follows. A certain number of young men took out the corpse from the coffin and moved it, clad in a long white shroud, to a convenient place near the fire. Then a rope was tied round the upper part of the body, and when this was done securely, the other end of the rope was passed up the chimney by means of a long stick for the purpose. And the next step was a party of men to go to the top of the chimney from the outside of the house by means of a ladder and take hold of the rope, and when they were ready for the ceremony, they gave a sign to those who were inside the house with the corpse by crying in Welsh, Hirwain Guth. And those who were inside the house would answer by saying, oh, my God, even I can't do this word. Uh, ah, wa- no, yes, I can. Yes, I can. Shwarin yes, Barod, or we are ready. Then the party who were at the top of the house pulled the corpse slowly up through the chimney by means of the rope and brought it to the very top before lowering it back down again and replacing it in the coffin. An aged person named Mrs. Mary Thomas of Bengal near Fishguard told me that she had heard a good deal from her mother about this strange custom, and that the last such ceremonies took place in a house called Panticunach in the parish of Briddle about 140 years ago, so 250 years ago from the present. According to Mrs. Thomas, it was customary to put a living man in the coffin while the ceremony of drawing up the corpse through the chimney was going on. And this was done in the case referred to at Briddle. But when the party at the end of the game approached the coffin in order to take out the living man to replace the corpse, they found him dead. No. This sad incident caused many people after this to put an end to the old custom. When in Pembrokeshire, I inquired everywhere from every old persons as to the origin and object of such strange and mysterious ceremony, and in reply, some of them informed me that it was only a game indulged in by those who were keeping a vigil over the dead to pass the time. (laughs) Okay. Whilst whilst others uh, said... There was once a superstition that another death would soon follow the funeral in the family or in the district unless the ceremony was duly performed. Whatever might have been the origin of it, it seems to be confined to Pembrokeshire. At least I have not found any tradition of the custom among the people of Caradigian or Carmarthenshire, except in one district in the latter county, right on the very border of Pembrokeshire. There we are. So that's a very peculiar one just to the county I live in, um, where bodies were apparently hauled up the chimney, either for fun or for superstitious reasons. Um, And there are many, many, many of these funeral customs relating to West Wales. That's one of the more bizarre. The other one that we do have in Pembrokeshire and the uh, West Wales counties um, relates to the Sin Eater. Um, oh yeah, well that's that's common actually. That's yeah. We have um, 
we have somebody from the village is is an, a nominated sin eater, but the the sins are presented in the form of cakes or biscuits. Yeah. Um, there are so, different yeah, uh, variations there are differences, of that. Yeah. yeah. And there's lots People of rituals who... about uh, the wake night and all manner of other uh, how the coffins are supposed to be made and you. Uh, how the corpse is supposed to be placed in it. Uh, right. And I suppose this relates to how people saw their world and how they interpreted their world and how they... Inter- yeah, I mean, even even the Japanese have the, their own uh, thing. I forget what the holiday is called. Not the Japanese, the Asians, but they they uh, do uh, cut out, well, basically anything, money, money. Uh, cars or whatever and they're all uh, given to the dead because the dead come back that one day and they they appease them by giving them all this stuff but it's all like you no know, paper cutouts and so forth well i mean there are there are places in in the asian community where um the asian, uh, where they actually go and i think it was something that took place also in the west as well uh, up until relatively recently i know it also took place in north america where people would go to the cemetery um, and they would have uh, parties, uh, and that's very common. I just posted one, in fact, on my uh, there we are great attention uh, page. I, yeah, I mean that you know that's still that that is still um, uh, conducted in 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 Asia, but it wasn't unknown in in Great Britain or right. even or even in North America. They have movie night now at some of the cemeteries, and the, well, over here the cemetery was was the communal sort of meeting place for people mm-hmm. and the village fate or fair was often held in the cemetery or adjacent to the cemetery um you know the dead were always incorporated into many many aspects of village life or community life right. and I, i'm guessing that you know part of that because of the the links between britain um, and north america then many of those uh, same practices and customs would also track uh, across the atlantic Right, um, and I, I, you know, I've read about very similar events where the cemetery or the graveyard is still very much the focus of community life in North America, and uh, increasingly so because people are starting to reinvent these old practices. Yeah, these old yeah, we go ghost hunting in cemeteries. That's predominantly North American. That's that's actually. Oh, that's what I mean. You were talking about North America. Yeah, um, it's very rare in the UK um, that people go go something in cemeteries. There isn't much of a, a connection between the cemetery and the the deceased. Although I mean, one of the the, the very earliest um, written accounts takes place uh, in the time of Elizabeth I with John Dee, who was charged with necromancy along with uh, his uh, assistant. Um, for for going into graveyards and raising the dead and seeking information from them, hmm. um, but modern ghost hunting, with very few exceptions, um, and there are you know inevitably exceptions, rarely takes place in graveyards. Um, you, over here, graveyards don't have that same allure for the ghost hunter. Maybe maybe it's because the weather's more inclement. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> or, or, or maybe going we, going we, back to that movie I watched. If it <laughs> if it was truly Wales, the Hinton land. Oh, is. it was filmed on location. Oh my God, it was it was raining all the time there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, the west coast of Britain uh, in general and Wales in particular 
Um, and the more south and west you go, the wetter it gets. And we live in the furthest south west part, which is why I always refer to it as wettest, wettest, wettest Wales. Westest, so often. <laughs> westest, wettest Wales so often, because it, it, it is. We have, on lots average... Lots of cliffs, too. Oh, we have lots of cliffs. But on average, we have, um, I think it's in, in excess of 180 rain days a year. Oh, God. Uh, so 30 days are rainy. Uh, well, we also suffer from uh, another, uh, say, it's a, it's a pretty... No, actually, half your days would be raining, right? Half yeah, the days. Yeah, knee, half yeah. the days. Oh. I mean, we can easily go 10, 10, 10 days, two weeks uh, of continual rain. Yeah. During the... Uh, predominantly in the uh, sort of fall and spring. Hmm. Uh, but even when it's sunny everywhere else in the UK... Um, because most of our pre- prevailing weather comes from the southwest, and we're of course sticking out into the Atlantic Ocean in the southwest, um, we get these um, coastal fogs, um, which you, you know it's like it could be sunny ten miles away, and here out here in this the far west, we just get a grey, murky, wet, damp, horrible, miserable day. Yeah. Uh, I- that's that's so that's true anyways but uh, i want to bring up something else uh, that we were discussing on the uh, morning show on monday and uh it, it seems that the uk is like a hot bed of activity for ghostly planes but there's a kind of unique story that occurred during world war ii about a b-17 flying fortress that lands at an air force base and when the emergency crew gets aboard there's no one there on the uh, plane at all. Well, there's a B-17 version, there's a La- Avro Lancaster version, there's a Wellington version of that story, um, There is, uh, and it moves around. Um, for example, there's a RAF Scampton, uh, there's a, a, an RAF Lancaster that supposedly arrives empty at the end of a mission, um, taxis in. And that story was still, still being told um, as um, contemporary, in the 1960s and 70s. Oh, this is uh, this is this is uh, been reported. They have the names of the people that uh-huh. that were there. Uh, and the, the funny part about it was the crew was still alive, but they were in Europe. There are, as I say, there are many, many. Uh, there's, there's. Uh, you, you said we're not short of ghostly aircraft over here. Um, and in fact, there was there was quite a, a rash of sightings a year or so ago in Derbyshire, um, right. where a they, large they talked about that on the, in the thing I saw. Yeah, yeah. a large four-engined World War Two bomber was seen flying low over the hills, so low in fact that people, uh, in fact, even the local police and mountain rescue were called out to it, um, thinking that an aircraft, perhaps the Battle of Britain Memorial Flight Lancaster, which is the only world only. Uh, one of the two only surviving ones in the world that fly in flying condition had crashed, uh, but nothing was ever found. Um, mm-hmm. And these stories of phantom aircraft uh, are, are actually very, very common. Um, and right. they range in size from, from single seat, you know, World War II fighters. Right. There's a famous one from RAF Biggin Hill, which was a Battle of Britain airfield, where reputedly a Spitfire, uh, I mean, there is a ghostly Spitfire, but the story behind this ghostly Spitfire is that apparently during the Battle of Britain, a Spitfire um, was seen to enter the flying circuit, then to complete a, a circuit, land perfectly, taxi up to the control tower, 
and uh, when the ground crew went out to it, the pilot was inside. Uh, there were bullet holes in the cockpit canopy, and the pilot was headless. Um, yeah, um, and of course the the ghost or there are ghostly ghostly shades of this Spitfire have been seen right. landing, you know, subsequently. Um, right. There is there was a very famous. In fact, I, I've got the cassette right next to me, um, which was conducted at uh, RAF Bertram Newton um, uh, by the same. Uh, back in the 1970s, there was a group of uh, ghost and, uh, hunters uh, called the Enfield Paranormal Society. Nothing yeah. to do with nothing to do with Enfield, apart from they were from Enfield. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, it, this is this is an old cassette from the 1970s. It's, it's a full account of the famous haunting where the psychic sounds of a wartime aerodrome were recorded with strange noises in the deserting building. The cassette contained an interview with one of the people who obtained the, the recordings, and eavesdrops on a seance where the name of the dead airman is produced during an investigation by BBC by a BBC nationwide team. The medium was suddenly entranced by the spirit of another dead airman who burnt to death in an aircraft crash at Bertram Newton. Hmm. There we are. Yeah, this particular case, though, I found really intriguing because there are the names of all the people are, that were on the plane are listed. Their their accounts of what happened are listed as well. So I thought that was intriguing uh, more than some of the ghost ones. Uh, the, you're you're right. There are, are so many uh, in England, so many uh, ghost aircraft seen, but this one where it actually lands and they physically mm-hmm. board it and so forth is is the intriguing part of it. Uh, there's also, I believe, oh, God, I can't think if I remember where it is, but, uh, oh, God, it's an airstrip, and the grounds around it, the hills around it are uh, covered with wrecks of, of aircrafts that were shot down uh, or crash-landed during the war, and uh, there are actually uh, groups that go out and try to uh, recover some of these pieces and oh, we a... have yeah over here in Britain we have uh, innumerable groups um, aviation recologists they call themselves and they do proper archaeology they they yeah and they've returned many a, a lost pilot um, to his family to the family and you know with full military honours and missing pilots have been you know sort of excavated that in fact it became such a craze. Um, or a popular pursuit by some uh, in the 1980s mm-hmm. the the government declared um, that all known aircraft crash sites where the pilot was believed still with the aircraft um, was only diggable by a special government license otherwise oh, it would be deemed, otherwise yeah. deemed, otherwise deemed a war grave because I mean, there were people say, uh, you know, just digging up everything, right? Well, I mean, they, they many of them had small museums, or some, uh, many many of the current right. aviation museums still have collections of uh, aviation wrecks. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were also digging up bombs and ammunition, and oh, not a good thing, and, and, and guns. Um, mm-hmm. and in fact, one one quite recently, uh, you know. <laughs> Britain was in the forefront during World War Two, particularly of the air no, war, really? the bomber war. Um, really? And in fact, I quite believe it was recent... the United States, but that's all right. We'll, we'll go along with it. For the sake of the 
no, it was actually so Britain. So, 17s that were out there bombing every shit out of everything. But that's all right. Uh, I mean, you had enough problem trying to fight pilots to defend. Let's just, let's just think. Let me just think now. No, it was from 1939 to 1942, we were on our own. Mm. Trying to defend yeah. Britain. Well, uh, we Not did. Not much bombing or anything. <laughs> uh, actually, we did. Yeah, I know you did. I'm just teasing you. Yeah. Um, but uh, there was one story quite recently, uh, a couple of months ago, where um, a man uh, walking, this was in Sheffield, uh, when he was a young boy, he saw an American. Um, you did say American, right? An American uh, liberator or B seventeen uh-huh. uh, that that was returning from um, operations and had been damaged and was unable to land safely, um, and so the pilot elected to land on this open patch of parkland um, with the crew still inside the bomber. Uh, as they flew low over the parkland, they were waving frantically at this one, this, this, the, the children who were on the playing field, warning them to get out of the way. Of course, these small boys were waving back, and the pilot elected to turn, and he crashed away from, um, instead of making a landing, he, he opted to crash away from the houses and the parkland, and, and obviously the people in the park. Right. And... Um, for ever since uh, there was one of this young boy grew up into a man and ever since um, he um, always there was a small memorial there that he always tended and he he put flowers on and he cared for mm-hmm. and he was on the BBC News um, a few months ago where he he said that as the anniversary was approaching the the whichever anniversary it was of the crash in 1944 <laughs> uh, 1945 that he would love for um, an aircraft to do a fly past. And the American Air Force, the United States Air Force in Europe, based at RAF Lakenheath, organized uh, a very, very large fly past involving flights of F-15s, involving oh, wow. aircraft from the Royal Air Force. And it was reported on American television. Um, you know, they, they had reporters from uh, CNN and Fox and the BBC, and there was this big event with 10,000 people right in the, uh, it was about half past eight in the morning when the original crash took place. And so the fly past also took place and it was widely reported. If you, if you Google BBC, uh, BBC Sheffield fly past, mm-hmm. that should, that should give you the, um, the necessary link to, to read more about it. So it's still very much ongoing. Yeah, isn't it intriguing, though? I mean, this is your country. You're familiar with the stories about Phantom aircraft. I mean, we, we have a few here, but not anywhere close to what you have. Any any idea of what this phenomenon is? Or is I mean, it's I'm sure it's not ghosts, but it, what what is it? Any clues or any theories? Well, I, I, I used to um, know well a man called Bruce Halpenny. Uh, or Halfpenny, and he wrote, uh, I think he's up to 11 or 12 editions um, of volumes now of Haunted Airfields. Really? Uh, um, in Britain. In fact, I, I don't know of any airfield that doesn't have a ghost story attached to it, even the That's local... That's a guy we should have on our show, Steve. Uh, I haven't been... Well, I'll see if I can get a hold of him. But, but nonetheless, um, this guy has made a, a, a sort of... Uh, Living out of it. 
living out yeah. of writing of these ghost stories. Mm-hmm. And you have, with a with a military aerodrome, particularly a frontline one, like we had so many um, during World War II, and there was over a 1,000 operational aerodromes in World War II. Here in Pembrokeshire, we're out to the west, uh, but we have 15 or 16 uh, deserted. There's one or two still operational active uh, as civilian airports or, or airstrips, but... Uh, we have these sort of ghostly remnants of airfields with control towers, empty runways, empty hangars and buildings. Um, but something unique took place there because troops, ground troops or naval uh, ratings, they would they were they they would ship out on you know to the battlefield and they would mm-hmm. remain there. And they would live under that sort of constant stress and pressure of battle. But with the airmen, uh, both the United States Army Air Forces and the Royal Air Force, the Canadian Air Force as well, um, you you had this unique situation um, where for several days they lived a normal life. They went into London, they went to the theatre, they drank in the pubs. And then the same night they could be over Berlin. Or a prisoner of war, mm-hmm. um, or, and, dead. <laughs> or dead. I, that that sort of stress that puts people under um, must inevitably leave a, a, a mark on the psyche. But interestingly, aerodromes—they're vast, open expanses of next to nothing, um, or just concrete. With and when when they've been abandoned and. The buildings are empty and the windows are gone, and it's very, very difficult not to sense um, an ambiance, um, a sort of strange atmosphere around aerodromes. As you know, I I, I love our, our, our aircraft, and I spent you know several days when I was up in in North Wales at you know standing on the fence at an RAF aerodrome, uh, and yet when it's quiet. And when it's or when, you know, we visit one of the old aerodromes out here in Pembrokeshire, it's so easy to imagine the ghosts, the ghosts of the airmen and the armourers and the ground technicians and the the hubbub and hullabaloo of the operational bases and the the heavy aircraft rumbling in and out or landing and taking off at dawn and dusk. Um, Now all gone and just, you know, sort of the wind blowing through the grass. Uh, and the empty, smashed-up concrete. Didn't most haunted uh, do an investigation? Oh, several, uh, several. Yeah. <laughs> now, I, in fact, I was involved in one of them. Um, really? At the uh, Northeast Aircraft Museum, um, where there was a, a said to be a the ghost. The ghost. It, it, it's intriguing actually because uh, the majority of ghosts on RAF aerodromes relate to some pilot who didn't quite make it. He comes wandering up to the control tower while still wearing his flying kit, presumably Aww. to rem- presumably to remonstrate with somebody um, about the fact that you know he's just crashed over in the perimeter, hmm. um, or or an aircraft landing to complete the mission it never completed seventy five years ago. Hmm. Um, so we, the stories are actually remarkably similar. Probably one of the most uh, well-attested is RAF Leeming in Yorkshire, where uh, the control tower is supposedly haunted by a, a figure uh, wearing Ehrman's um, clothing. Um, and 
both the apparition and also the sounds of, of the um, walking up and down the steps have been reported by innumerable numbers of serving RAF personnel working in the control tower there, which is still operational today. And, you know, I've, I've investigated a couple. Um, I was involved with Most Haunted. Whether you call that an investigation, I don't really know. I wouldn't. But, um, but you know, I mean, the, the, every RAF station, I think, has a ghost story attached to it. Yeah, that's. I had the opportunity to investigate uh, as we are running out of time, about a minute left. Uh, a B seventeen that was not B fourteen, I believe. Uh, Jim would know, but uh, he was along with me. But uh, Dan Parsons, rest his soul, uh, was able to get us a couple of to do an investigation on. Of, these were actually flying ones, which were kind of cool and uh, interesting. But, well, uh, RAF Cosford has a has a haunted aircraft which I've managed to be get inside. In fact, I've got some photographs of it. Awesome. Uh, so we we do have to go bomb. because we're getting all kinds of messages here. And the yes, I can see them. Yes, all right. So uh, thank you for listening to Ghost Chronicles. I believe next week do we have? Is it Lloyd next week or is it uh, your boy? Uh, it's Lloyd, I think, next week. Uh, yeah, oh, Lloyd, I can't remember. Uh, We've got a guest Lloyd, next week. Lloyd Arborek next week, and then the following week we have Barry John. So tune in. Anyways, be. check out the website, anyghostproject.com. The letter N, the letter E, ghostproject.com. Steve will be joining us for Spirit Quest. Good night. God bless. to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us good law.